Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, One Life Church. It is so good to see you today. Uh, if it's your first time joining us, I just want to take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Rhett, and it is the honor and privilege of my life to get to be the lead pastor here at One Life Church. And we're so thankful that you've chosen to take some time to hang out with us today. Like Nick mentioned, we are closing out a series called Asking for a Friend. But before we jump into it, can I encourage everybody in the room today here at the Nampa Civic Center to throw your hands together and welcome our online church family, those who are joining us right now online. Yeah. Man, we love you so much. You are our family. and We're just so thankful that you are along for the ride today. All right, my friends, we are a message note taking church. What does that mean? It means we love to take notes. And so we love it so much. We're introducing a new process to how we get notes into your hand. We're trying something new today. I hope you enjoy it. If you would like to participate in taking the notes, I would encourage you to text OLC notes to 94,000. Text OLC notes to 94,000. That is not case sensitive. It can be all caps, lower caps. It does not matter but we love to take notes here at One Life Church because I just don't want to inspire you. I just don't want to encourage you. That is important, and we're going to do that today. My hope is to do that. But I also want you to be able to walk out of here today with God's Word in a very practical way on how you can apply this to your life Monday through Saturday. And if you've enjoyed the notes, can I hear a good amen from the note takers in the room? Amen. You know, one quick thing about the notes, and I'll I'll stop talking about it after this, is the fact that you can save it as a PDF. You can email it to yourself for later, or you can send it to a friend who's not here today. I'm just saying. You know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But all right, you guys. Well, I love this series for so many reasons. In fact, it's probably one of my favorite series that we do throughout the entire year. And that is because I feel that the best way that I can pastor you and to be your friend, honestly, is to answer questions that you are asking. And so what I've done and what our team did is we thought that it would be best while everybody comes to service on Easter, because that is the one Sunday out of the entire year, all 340 of you show up, okay? And so on Easter, what we did is the connection card that was inside your worship guide, we called that a response card. And on the back of that, there were a lot of questions and like, hey, what are some topics you'd like to hear about? And I'm not kidding when I say this, just about 90% of every card you had marked the topic that we are talking about today. And so you're asking for a friend, what does the Bible say on how do we overcome life's most difficult moments? In other words, when life throws you lemonade, how in the world am I supposed to make lemonade out of this? And so what I've studied and what I've realized as I've jumped into this is that there's always something isn't there? Like it could be big, it could be small. There's always going to be trouble on this planet. In fact, I found this article. It comes out of a Florida newspaper. And check this out. Talk about a bad day. It says a Florida man while working on his motorcycle on the patio, his wife was in the kitchen. While he was on the patio, he was revving his motorcycle's engine and somehow the motorcycle slipped into gear. Now, still holding the handlebars, the motorcycle dragged the man through the glass patio door inside the dining room where he fell, cut and bleeding. Now, the wife, hearing the crash, ran to the dining room, found his husband on the floor with a motorcycle next to him. She called the first responders. The ambulance arrived. They transported her husband to the hospital. Now, that's a bad day, but check it out. It gets worse. Now, seeing gas spilled on the floor, 
the wife decided, well, you know what? I'm out of paper towels, so I'll just use what I have. I will use toilet paper to clean up the gasoline and the oil that is in the floor in the dining room. And so without thinking, she just decided, oh, she threw the toilet paper in the toilet, everybody. So the husband's at the hospital getting treated. He comes home, he's released. And as he arrives home, he's looking around and he's seeing the damage that was done to his home and to his motorcycle. And he became, became depressed. He became despondent. And any man in this house, when their motor, I mean, come on, forget the glass door, the motorcycle, you know what I'm saying? And so in his depression, in his despondency, he went to the bathroom, sat on the toilet and began to smoke a cigarette, everybody. Finishing his cigarette, he flicked it between his legs while still seated on the commode and... You can't make this stuff up, everybody. Wife was in the kitchen, heard a loud explosion. The husband screaming, ran to the bathroom, found the husband lying on the floor, suffering from the burns and let's just say the sensitive areas, okay? Because we're in church. The wife again called the first responders and the same first responder showed up to the scene. When the paramedics arrived, they loaded the husband on the stretcher, and then as they're carrying him out to the ambulance, one of the first responders asked the wife, what what happened? The wife explained it led to the paramedics laughing so hard, one of them tripped over themselves, flipped the stretcher over, dumped the husband on the ground, causing the man to break his arm. Come on, y'all. That is a bad day. You talk about one of life's worst moments. That is one of them. Now, I don't know if that article is true, but it sure is funny, is it not? Kind of brings some things into perspective a little bit. And so my hope today is simply to give you a plan, to give you a game plan on answering the question, how in the world do I overcome some of life's worst moments? And I want to start with a verse that comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. And let me set it up. Now, the gentleman who's writing this verse is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's not a perfect man. He wrote the Bible. He wrote this part of the Bible, but God was the inspiration to it. But what I need you to understand is Paul was a man. He was human, just like you and I. In fact, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he planted churches around the world. So you would think he might have it all together and would never experience a bad day, right? Well, what we see here is Paul gets really real and vulnerable, and he lets us into some things. And this is what he says. He says, hey, One Life Church, we don't want you to be uninformed like about the troubles, about the tribulation, about some of the days that I've experienced, some of life's worst moments. Like there is some hell breaking forth in my life and I'm gonna make sure that you are aware that just because I'm planting churches and just because I'm writing two thirds in the New Testament and just because God's doing all these great things, I have still experienced some trouble in my life. He says, we were under so much great pressure. Look at this, far beyond our ability to endure it. So much so that I despaired of life even in of itself. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? Killing myself look a whole lot better than putting up with all the hell that I'm walking through. This is what Paul is saying right now. He said, I felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened. Why? Why did all this have to happen? Look at this. But this happened for a reason. Paul said, I realize that when something is happening to me, God wants to do something on the inside of me. Notice this, that what? That we might not rely on ourselves. We might not rely on our emotions. We might not rely on our feelings, but on who? But on God. Why? Because I serve a God who can take dead things and bring them back to life. I serve a God who can raise the dead in my family, in my finances, in my marriage, in my relationships, in the loss of a job. I serve a God who can raise the dead. This is what he's pointing us to. 
He says, look at this. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. And on him, Christ, we have set our hopes that he will continue to deliver us. Notice this. He has, he will, and he will continue. One Life Church, God has, he will, and he will continue. Come on, say it with me. He has, he will, and he will continue to deliver you from life's worst moments. He goes on to say, as you, that's the church, we come together and you not only help him, but we help each other how through prayers and community. Why? Because it says, then many will give thanks. Many will be encouraged. Many will be inspired to press on and to keep moving forward in their faith and trust in God as they hear of God's faithfulness through some of life's worst moments. So this is what I know. This is what I've learned in my little short, almost 45 years on this planet. Is this not a matter of if you're going to experience a worse moment? It's just a matter of when, is it not? Well, Pastor Red, I came to church to be encouraged. Could you be a little bit more positive? I'm absolutely positive. My friend, you and I, we're going to have some bad days. We're going to have some bad days. Why? Well, the bottom line is this. It's because earth is broken. We live on a broken planet. But I need you to understand something. It wasn't always that way. God, in the beginning, created paradise. It was perfect. It was beautiful. It was holy. There was no sin. And it was wonderful. It was amazing. But what happened? Sin entered the picture. How? Through Adam and through Eve. And because sin entered and brought destruction, what came with it? Brokenness. Now the weather's broken. Now our bodies are broken. Now our emotions are broken. Our relationships are broken. Everything on this planet is broken. So some of you are saying, well, why didn't God do something about it? Well, my friend, I'm here to encourage you. God did do something about it. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to do what? To make beauty from ashes, to restore us, to reconcile us, and to rescue us despite our bad days, to bring us to a place of ultimate healing, not only on this side of heaven, but ultimately to experience heaven, eternal life forever in the presence of a holy, loving, marvelous God. And by the way, this is our hope for you. This is why we exist as a church, is to lead you to a place where you're in a relationship with God through his one and only son, Jesus. This is why we exist. But despite all the good news of what Christ has done for us in the moment, we still, if we're honest, the reality is, We're dealing with some difficult days. We have moments that are really tough and hard and that bring a lot of hurt. And so thus the reason that you are asking for a friend, Pastorette, how do I overcome life's worst moments? And so today what I really want to do is, I'm just going to be honest with you. Today is going to be a tough message. And it's not tough because of what you're going to hear It's mainly more tough for me because of what I'm going to deliver to you today, because my hope is to be very vulnerable, to be very honest, authentic, and real by sharing some moments in my life that I'm not proud of, but hopefully sharing it in a way that will give you some hope that due to God's faithfulness, he can take things that are broken And he can bring beauty from it. And so that's what I want to do today. And I'm just going to be honest with you. This isn't the type of message a pastor would bring, or this really isn't a type of story that a pastor would bring if he's trying to grow his church numerically. But it's absolutely the kind of message a pastor would bring or a friend would bring if they're trying to help somebody grow spiritually. And so that's my goal. 
My goal is to see every single one of you in this room and online growing spiritually in your relationship with God and learning how to overcome life's difficult moments. And what I'm going to do today, by the grace of God, is I, with his help, I want to do my best to show you how you can live this out by enjoying the presence of God, being in a life-giving community, making a difference with your life to be able to walk this thing out. So before I share my story, there's three things that I want to give you that many of you are probably already aware of what happens when life moments hit you in the face. There are three things that you and I experience, and it's important for us to realize and to understand what we experience so that when we go through the difficult time, we should be able to go, okay, this is what's happening. Okay, this is what I need to do. Because my friends, it's not a matter of, most of us were either going into trouble, we're in trouble, or we're coming out of trouble, right? And so wherever you are on your journey, you're going to need this one day. And so if you haven't already, text OLC notes to 94,000, get ready to take some notes. Here's the first thing I'd like for you to write down is that is when it comes to life slapping you in the face and life's worst moments blindsiding you, what's the first thing we experience? It's shock. It's disbelief. And this is going to happen this side of heaven because we live in a broken world. And so this could be anything. It could be big. It could be small. Maybe you got fired. Maybe you got to let go of a job. Maybe your financial investments ended up getting drained and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do in my retirement now. Maybe you're a student in the room or a young adult and you're dating somebody and that person called you or texted you and said, hey, I'm out and they broke up with you. Maybe you were involved in a car accident or you know somebody that was. Or maybe even worse, maybe you're dealing with a death of a loved one or a betrayal in your life and are in your marriage and you're walking through the difficulty of a divorce. Whatever the situation you face, my friends, what you will experience when life blindsides you is this immediate feeling of shock and disbelief. And I just want you to understand this. Shock and disbelief is a human emotion. It is a natural response to trauma that has caused physically, mentally, and even in some cases through abuse spiritually. And if you're not careful, I need you to understand this. If you're not careful, what will happen is in this shock and in this disbelief, you will go into isolation. You'll begin to isolate yourself from people. You'll begin to isolate yourself emotionally, and you'll begin to isolate yourself in your mind. And the response to that is your life, your body, everything begins to mentally, physically, emotionally shut down. And then we enter into the depths of depression, which I talked about two weeks ago of what God's word says. And so I want you to know something. Because we go into isolation, and that's the natural tendency, God's word comes along and says this. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. Guys, don't do life alone. Two are better than one. Why? Because when life hits you upside the face and you're blindsided by life's worst moment, you need somebody in your corner to help lift you up and to encourage you. But look at the rest of the verse. But pity, pity anyone. In other words, sorrow awaits those who fall alone and have no one to help them up. Pity them, man. Sorrow awaits the person who does not have life-giving community surrounding them, helping them, protecting them in these moments. And again, I just want to remind you, in life's worst moments, the tendency is for you and I to isolate. And I just want to say this. Listen, it's okay to isolate for a short period of time, but it is not okay to isolate forever. Why? 
because you're not meant to do life alone. Guys, I want to remind you that the first problem in the Bible that God addressed wasn't sin. It wasn't problems. It wasn't life's worst moments. Do you know the first problem that God addressed in the Bible? It was isolation. Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good to be alone when you're in shock and disbelief. Why? Because it's a dangerous place to live alone. Peter comes along and tells us this, 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, hey, my friends, I want you to be well balanced and I want you to be alert. Now, time out. It's really hard to be well balanced and alert when life's worst moment hits you upside the head and puts you into a place of shock and disorientation. And that's why it's so important that we've got to have a life-giving community around us. Why? Because look at the rest of the verse. Because your enemy, the devil, that's Satan, he roams around incessantly like a roaring lion who never stops looking for its prey to devour. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched National Geographic, but let me tell you something about a lion. A lion does not attack the community. A lion does not attack a family. A lion attacks the isolated. And this is why it's important for us to have life-giving community around us. And this is why I want you to make a decision, not based on your emotions that tell you to isolate, but I want you to make a choice that simply says, in life's worst moment, I will surround myself with life-giving friends. When all hell is breaking loose against whatever I'm dealing with, I will choose to put myself in community with life-giving friends. And by the way, this is what our small groups are all about, everybody. We are not a church with small groups. We are a church of small groups. And this is a big deal. In other words, it's not something we do. It is who we are. We are the bride of Christ. We are a family. We are the church. And we cannot exist without each other. We need each other. It's a body for a reason. It's who we are. Why do we need community so bad, really, right? Because when life's worst moments hit you, you need somebody to come alongside you and help you be well-balanced and alert. You need somebody who is thinking straight because you are not. By the way, in your emotions, when your emotions are driving the ship, you are the worst person to take advice from. I am the worst person to take advice from when we're dealing with this kind of shock and disbelief. And so it's important to have a family surrounding you, protecting you, helping you stand so that you don't become a victim, but you become a victor, that you don't let the circumstance overwhelm you and overcome you, but by being by the blood of Jesus Christ as a son and daughter of God, that you become an overcomer. How? By the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. God is calling us to overcome, but we will never overcome alone. We are meant to do life together. And if small groups have been a part of life change in your life, can I hear a good amen, everybody in the room? Amen. amen. Second thing that's important to recognize whenever life's worst moments hit you is that not only are you going to experience shock and disbelief, but here's the second thing that you're going to experience, and that is sorrow and grief. It's sorrow and grief. With all my heart this morning, I want you to know it's okay to be sad. Guys, it is not a sin to be sorrowful. It is a human emotion that God has placed inside the soul of every human being. One of the worst things you could ever do when it comes to sorrow and grief in life's worst moments is to bury it and to hide it as if it's not really happening. In fact, I'm really good at this. Uh, I've been serving the Lord for 28 years. 
And I just somehow had this moment of this thought that I'm kind of like Finding Dory. You know, the Pixar movie, Finding Dory. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. You know, anybody seen that? I'm I'm the only one, right? It's like, no matter what throws your life, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Like, just keep moving forward. Onward, Christian soldier. Come on, let's do this, right? Man up, you know, buck up, buttercup, right? Spirit of God lives inside you. Greater is he that's within you. Come on, just keep moving, right? And what do we do? We push down and we bear. That's the worst thing you can do. And hey, Christians, I just want to speak to you for a moment. And by the way, if you're a non-Christian here today, we're just so glad that you're here. We love you. You're welcome here. Welcome home. Um, But there are some of you here in, in, in this room, you've professed faith in Christ. And that's who I want to talk to just for a moment. As a Christian, if you have a friend or a loved one, somebody you know at work, maybe they just got hit with life's worst moment and you really don't know what to say and they're dealing with this loss and this sorrow and this grief now is not the time to drop the Christian one-liner bomb of Romans 8.28 in their life well all things work together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose listen I know that verse is beautiful and there's so much truth to it and it's powerful and it has its place. But in the middle of disbelief, in the middle of shock, in the middle of sorrow and grief, people just need to grieve. People need to cry. We don't need to try to fix their pain. We just need to sit with them in their pain for a moment and a season. We need to allow them, and if you're dealing with it, you need to have a moment where you release the sorrow from your soul. Why? So you can find healing. Why? Guys, if you don't allow time for grieving in your own life and in others, what will happen, psychologists will tell you, it leads to anger, it leads to bitterness, it leads to resentment, it leads to unforgiveness, which ultimately leads to addictive behavior, which can ultimately lead to depression and to suicide for not being able to express grief. And this is why Jesus Christ said this, Luke 6, verse 21. God blesses you who do what? Who buck up, buttercup, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, move on. No, God blesses you who do what? Who weep now, who grieve now now who are dealing with sorrow, disappointment, the feeling of, God blesses those who weep now. But in due time, my friends, my family, there is a season for grieving. Why? There's a season for grieving because now once we begin to grieve, then we can walk into healing. Why? Because there's joy on the other side of it. God will always meet you at your place of pain, but he never wants to allow you to stay there. He will always help walk you through it. And so God is close to the brokenhearted, Psalm says. His power, his presence is close to those who are going through difficult moments. And he's not there to rush people. He's there to meet them and to help them move to the next step on their journey. And that's why some of the best advice that I can give you are to anyone in this room is to invite somebody into your life who knows you well enough to be able to sit with you in your grief. That's why small groups are important. Well, Red, I'm in a small group and I'm going through a difficult time and I mean, they're good people and they're kind and nice, but I just don't know them well enough. Well, can I tell you? Can I encourage you to do this? I would invite you to seek out a Christian grief counselor. There's nothing wrong with that. It's very biblical, my friends. And if you're like, you don't know where to get started, can I encourage you? 
to email us at info at olc.church and say, hey, I listened to the message today. I was online and I'm in the valley and I would love the opportunity to just learn more about grief counseling. And what we can do is there is a lot of organizations in this valley who love God, who are filled with the spirit of God, who would love to come alongside you by the grace of God, sit with you in your grief, make sure you don't get stuck in your grief, and then help you walk through it to find healing, to find healing. In fact, if you think I'm just making this stuff up, Jesus Christ in the Bible demonstrated this to us. Look at John 11, 33 through 35. When Jesus looked at Mary and he saw her weeping at his feet. Now, time out. Who's Mary? Mary was a dear friend of Jesus. This is not the mother Mary of Jesus. But this is Mary, a friend who had a sister named Martha and who had a brother named Lazarus. Well, Lazarus got really sick and he died. And Jesus wasn't there in those moments. And so there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of sorrow. And we see Jesus here in this moment coming upon this scene and looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet. And all her friends were along with her grieving. Look at the emotion that Jesus showed. He said he shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with what? With tenderness and compassion. He goes on to say, he said to them, where did you bury Lazarus? And they said, Lord, come with us. We'll show you, they replied. And then notice what happened to Jesus. Then tears began to stream down in Jesus' face. You may be more familiar with the NIV version translation that says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept alongside Mary and sat with her in her grief over the death of her brother Lazarus. But notice this, Lazarus was also one of Jesus' closest friends. And so Jesus also sat with his own emotion, with his own grief in all the humanity. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. And he sat in his emotion and he allowed even himself to grieve. He didn't bury it. He didn't say, hey, man, I'm the son of God, man. Come on, man. Y'all get over this. It's going to be all right. I'm about to raise him from the dead. No, he didn't say any of that. They didn't know he was about to do all that. And he took a moment and Jesus wept and expressed a very human emotion that every single one of us were designed to be able to express in a very healthy way. In fact, Jesus not only expressed sorrow, he was referred to in the Bible as a man of sorrows. Look at this in Isaiah 53.3. It says he was despised. And this is prophecy, by the way, thousands of years before Jesus showed up on the scene. God revealed to Isaiah the Savior and what he would go through. He was despised. He was rejected. Look at this. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with deepest grief. And by the way, this is exactly why this qualifies Jesus Christ to be your best friend. It's because he can completely relate to all the hurt, all the pain that you and I will ever walk through. And by the way, just think about this for a moment. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did Jesus spend 33 years on this earth before he died? Think about it. Because if Jesus Christ only came to die to pay for sins, well, he could have just been born and then died to pay for sins. But that didn't happen. Why? He lived 33 years on this planet. Why? So that he could experience every hurt, every pain, every betrayal, every abandonment, every abuse, physically, emotionally, spiritually, so that he could relate to you and to me. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16 says, this high priest, referring to Jesus, this high priest of ours, guys, he understands our weaknesses. Jesus understands our grief. 
Jesus understands our sorrow. Why? Because he faced all of the same things, all the trials, all the tribulations. But yet, here's the beauty, he did not sin. Well, yeah, Rev, because that doesn't mean he was a son of God. He was perfect in every way. I know he's human, but I'm not God, and I get it. And so some of you are like, well, what do I do? You ready for this? Paul gives us a glimpse of what we need to do in these moments. He says, guys, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, it's time in your sorrow to come in to the presence of God. In your weeping, it's time to worship. James 4, 8 says this, draw close to God and God will draw close to you. God is faithful. He's not mad at you. He's in love with you. And when you're hurting, listen, God does not cause your pain. Everything good comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father in heaven. So God does not cause this pain. He does not cause the trouble. But he recognizes that we're going to walk through it. And when we do, we need to draw close to him. And here's my encouragement to you. Is that when life's worst moments happen, I just want you to go ahead and make the choice to say, I will worship while I weep. I will worship while I weep. Why? Because worship changes everything. It changes everything. Here's the problem that I have as a pastor. You ready for it? The challenge that I have as a pastor is I get up on this platform every week or even on your li- in your lives over small groups and coffee, and I'm always trying to convince you and to teach you things that, that you can never experience unless you try them. It's like me saying, man, the steak down the street at Roadhouse is amazing. The Dallas Filet six sound. Let me tell you, my brothers, you got to get it medium. It's amazing. But if you never go down there to get it along with those biscuits, not biscuits, but bread rolls from heaven with the butter and the cinnamon butter on the side, who's hungry? I am. Thank you, Jesus. Like if you never go down there to experience that, you're never going to know. This is the problem I have. And so I will never forget a moment in my wife and I's life and our family a few years ago, we lost somebody near and dear to us. He was a hero of mine. He was Linda's dad. And he got diagnosed with cancer. And he won many battles, and the Lord blessed us in some season, but unfortunately, he lost the battle to cancer. And in our opinion, he went home way too soon. And here we are in shock and disbelief, asking, why God? He loved you. He loved your church. He made a difference with his life. God, there was so much more time left that we could have with him, with our son and with grandkids. And why? Struggle with grief. We buried him and it was not moments, really after that celebration service, we all as a family came together in our house and our family's musical, so we always have pianos around and her, Linda's mom plays piano and I do too. And so what we began to do in our sorrow, we began to worship. God, I love you. My heart grieves for the loss of my father-in-law. But I love you. God, your ways are higher and I trust you through this pain. And when the tears begin to fall in our family, but then it turns into praise and worship and honor of God, I'll tell you this, in that moment, our hearts weren't healed. And I'm like, woo, we got the joy of the Lord. No, are you kidding me? No. But the presence of God came in our home in such a sweet, comforting, tender, compassionate way, in such grace. 
And in the moment of our grief, we felt the presence of our God. We felt the presence of the living God who loves us and who understands our hurt and our pain. And although we don't, we'll never understand this side of heaven or why, one day we'll know. One day we'll see it from heaven's perspective. In fact, David, David prayed this in Psalm 61, 1 through 2. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed, hear my cry, O God. God, attend to my prayer. I'm grieving. My soul hurts from the end of the earth, God. I will cry to you. I don't understand when my heart is overwhelmed with grief, sorrow, trouble. God, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, lead me to the place that I cannot obtain on my own. Lead me to a place where I can experience comfort. Lead me to the place I can experience hope. Lead me to the place that I can experience healing through my grief. I cannot get there alone. Take me, God. I want to go there. I worship you. Because there, there he knew he would find the rock, the refuge, the safety, the strength, the peace, and the hope, and the grace to get him through the seasons. Worship. Worship changes everything. Here's the last thing I want to give you. When it comes to what you'll experience, when worst life's moments hit you, and it's important to recognize this so that you'll know what to do in it. And that is, number three, you're going to struggle with why. The emotion that you're going to face is you're going to struggle with why. Why me? Why does this happen, God? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why? You know, I love the Bible for so many reasons. Because as I mentioned earlier, the Bible was written by man, but God held the pen. God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, inspired man to write it. But in those moments, what we see are broken people experiencing real life. It's filled with all these amazing men and women who did amazing things, but they also dealt with a lot of brokenness. And they're very honest and vulnerable. Look at Jeremiah. For instance, Jeremiah 20, 18. Jeremiah said, Why? God, why was I born? Was it only to have trouble and sorrow and to have death and betrayal and abandonment? Was it only to deal with all this trouble and sorrow to end my life in disgrace? And of course, the obvious answer is, come on, Jeremiah, no. I mean, come on, you wrote the book of Jeremiah, babe. You're doing something right. In fact, you didn't only write the book of Jeremiah. You wrote the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah, your life has influenced generation after generation after generation. God used you to pin his words to make a difference in our lives. Come on, Jeremiah, why can't you see this? Problem is, he couldn't see it in that moment. Why? Because he was in that moment. He, look, we have the beauty of seeing things from a different perspective. Why? Because time is on our side. Jeremiah didn't have time on his side in this moment. And I'm just here to remind you that we serve a God who is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. And my friends, he sees the whole picture. He sees the whole timeline of your life. Even in the midst of us asking why, we can't see it. But it's in those moments I just simply want to remember I want to remind you to remember what we talked about earlier. He has, he will, and he will continue to deliver you. He has, he will, he will continue. But let's be honest. We all want the epic, right? We want God to do the miracle. 
like Noah. God, raise us above all these wicked people in my life. Destroy them with a flood and take me on top of it, Lord. Like Moses, man, you parted the Red Sea. Could you part the Red Sea of all my problems, Jesus? You know, Elijah called down fire from heaven. I mean, you did it for him. Can't you do that for me? Come on, God. We want the epic, right? We want the miracle in the moment. Then we'd read story after story after man and woman of God who did great things for God and God did miracles in their life. I'm like, that's what we want. That's what we want. But we yet, we fail to recognize and read the rest of Hebrews chapter 11. There were others. There were others. Look at this. There were others who were tortured. There were others who were persecuted. There were others who had some bad days. And life's worst moments hit them. Look at this. They were mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts. They wandered in mountains. They lived in caves. They lived in holes in the ground. And look at this. They were all commended for their faith. Even through their life's worst moments, they were commended for their faith, their trust, and their life of surrender. But yet none of them received what they were hoping for. None of them received the miracles that they were hoping that God would bring in their life and in their timeline. Why? That's a great question. Look at the rest of the verse. Because God had planned something, say that word, something what? Better. God had planned something better, not only for us, but he's got something planned better for them. My friends, there is a place with no more hurting, no more crying, no more cancer, no more COVID, and no more politicians. Can I get a good amen, somebody? (laughs) Jesus, help us. Place is called heaven. There's a glorious heaven that awaits us all. And there's a loving God and a loving Father there, along with His Son and the Holy Spirit there to welcome us into His eternal glory. And it's a beautiful place. And it's amazing. And it far out sea exceeds any kind of beauty we think earth has to offer. There is a heaven. And so that's why, when it comes to life's worst moments, I want you to make the choice that I will keep my eyes on eternity. I will keep my eyes on eternity. I will recognize that there is a heaven that awaits me. That there is more to this life than this life. There is a place in the presence of God where I can find safety, refuge, hope, love, comfort, joy, peace, fulfillment, and all the blessing that is God. And it's not here on earth even as amazing as it can be sometimes. So when I'm going through hell and life hits me in the face, I will keep my eyes on eternity. When I remember about my mom who committed suicide when I was seven, and I miss her dearly, and I ask why. When I begin to think of my spiritual father and mother who were died tragically in a car accident when I was 18. When I begin to ask and question, why in the world, God, would you take one of the greatest men of faith out of my life, a father figure, Linda's dad? When I begin to wonder why, you know what I remember? I remember heaven. And I remember that old song, remember some glad morning when life is over. I'll fly away. I want to fly away. I want to be with my God. Yeah, I've got some pain to deal with right now. I got some trouble. But God's going to do something in me through it. I'm passing through, and I'm going to do the best thing that I can do to point to God's faithfulness, to get life giving people in my life, to worship God in all things, despite my understanding, and to keep my eyes on heaven. He has, he will, and he will continue to deliver us. So what do we do? 
What do we do? That's a great question. Where do we go from here? How do we overcome this thing? One word, and it really is. I, I literally had 10 pages of notes, and I had to like get rid of 10 because there's so many other things that I can tell you. But if there was one that stood out amongst them all, it was this one. One thing I would encourage you to do, and that is surrender. Surrender. And by the way, that's what salvation is. Being saved from our sin, coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is not about going to church. Now, those are good things. It's not about giving in the offering on Sunday. Now, those are good things. It's not about doing good to others. Now, those are good things. But salvation isn't about what we do. Salvation is about what he's done. And we, sur- we receive it. How? We receive it through surrender. We receive it through giving of our lives back to the one who ultimately gave it to us. Five-letter word that I hope you'll do. That's trust. Trust. One of my favorite verses that have given me through so much in my life is Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. It's this, trust in the Lord. Hey, One Life Church, I know life is difficult right now. I know there's moments that are beyond your control. But God is saying today to trust. Trust. Trust in who? In you? No. In this world? No. In this economy? No. In our president? No. In our politicians? No, no, no. No. Trust in who? In the Lord. With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. In your shock, in your sorrow, and in your struggle, in all your ways, surrender. Submit to him, it says. And here's the promise. The promise is he will make every chaotic and crazy, crooked road that is your life right now through time and a process, day in, day out, one step forward, two steps back, sometimes three steps forward, one step back. But over time, the process of walking with the Lord, He will make your path straight. The pathway to peace is through surrender. It's through surrender. So I told you earlier, as we started this message, that I would end by doing my absolute best to be very vulnerable and honest with you about life's worst moments. And unfortunately, I got a lot to choose from when it comes to that. And when I began to think of really one of the most worst, I told some friends this before our service. I said, I don't want to tell this story. Confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. And I was struggling with this because it's obviously something I've gone through and it's made me who I am today and I've seen God's faithfulness through it and my hope is that it encourages you. But there's also the human side of it to where it's like, oh my God, you're a pastor after dealing with this? Really? Why would I come here? But here's the truth. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please God. None of us are perfect, including myself. And no pastor is in this world. And if you're looking for perfection, you're not gonna find it this side of heaven promise. But God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so here I stand on this platform, not because I'm perfect or I think I've got it all together. I've got my issues just like you, but I've gone through some things and I simply want to share with you one of the major events that have happened in my life in my early twenties. So many of you know me, this side of the redemption story. Many of you know that I've been married to my beautiful wife who sits on the front row, who's the most courageous woman I know. Her name is Linda. I've been married going on 16 years. 
And if you clap, clap for her, not for me. You know what I'm saying? Like she's the one that's had put up with me, right? Got an incredible young man who loves God, loves his family, loves his church, and loves his friends. His name's Max. He is 13 years old, going on like 24. What in the world, right? And if you've heard any part of my story, you've probably heard I said at one time in my life I was over $200,000 in debt, and by God, I will never bite into that apple again, and I'm debt-free today. So you're seeing a side of me of a part of the redemption. It's like Jeremiah, right? Why, oh God? Well, we make sense now because we see the timeline. But there was a moment in my early 20s where I wasn't experiencing what I'm experiencing now. In fact, in my early 20s, I was living in Birmingham, Alabama, and I fell in love. Really, it was lust. But I fell in love with a young lady in Birmingham. This is not my beautiful wife who's sitting in the front row. And so trying to follow the call of God in my life, we moved from Birmingham to Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. And in Dallas, I began to try to fulfill the ministry calling on my life of leading worship, leading people into the presence of God through music. And the first year was great. But then right around that first year, things started to get rough because I noticed something in my home that wasn't right. And eventually it came out. My wife was dealing with drugs, she was dealing with alcohol, she was dealing with substance abuse, and because of that, she was making some bad decisions. And one of those bad decisions she told me was that I've slept with my ex-boyfriend. Could you imagine the shock, the disbelief, the abandonment? Like, what in the world? Like, why is this happening to me? Are you kidding me? God, here I am trying to serve you, trying to give my life to you, trying to love you, and my wife's telling me she's cheating on me. And here I am. Thank God I had a life-giving community in my life because I began to reach out to a friend who has also walked through the same thing. And he said, Rhett, I love you, man, and I hate that you're going through this, and I'll sit with you in it, but I'm going to make sure you're not stuck in it. We're going to walk through it so you find healing. And he was a great friend because he had also walked through the same pain 20-something years ago in his own life. And I had every right to biblically leave, but you know what? I made a commitment to God and to her, for better or for worse, till death do his part. And that was about as worse as I think it could get. So I walked back into the house through tears and grief and sorrow, just forgave her. And I said, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but we're going to get through it by the help of God and the grace of God. It's going to be a process. And so some things will begin to get a little bit better. But then things got worse because it didn't just happen one time. And so one day I come home living in a Dallas suburb just north of DFW if you're familiar with Dallas. Beautiful suburban home, two stories, white picket fence, dog, motorcycle, cars, trucks. Like I had everything the American dream would tell you that you're supposed to have. I walk into the house. It was raining that day. And when I walked in, there was mud all over the carpet. We had white carpet. Why? I will never know. But we had white carpet, mud all over the carpet. Nothing was in the home. It was a smash and grab. Walked through the kitchen. I can still remember the scene vividly. Nothing left over. Cabinets ripped apart. Just get in, get out, get in, get out. Walked upstairs, and the only thing left in my house was my bedroom furniture and my clothes in my closet along with my guns. Life's worst moment. Here I am loving God, trying to do the right thing, and I'm experiencing hell. I'm broken. I'm in disbelief. I'm in shock. I'm disoriented. All I could remember is that my mom ended her life with suicide. And I thought, well, you know what? If it was good for her, it might as well be good for me. Walked over, looked at the guns, began to grab it. And I was like, something just in my spirit was like, no, this is not. 
you know this isn't the answer. Because of the pain you've experienced in your own life from suicide from your mom. So I walked out of the closet, was in the middle of the room, hit my knees, and I began to cry out to God. In my sorrow, in my weeping. Why, God? I'm your son. What in the world? Why is this happening to me? How could you let this happen to me? And I began to be sorrowful. I began to grieve. I began to cry. But then all of a sudden, something rose up on the inside of me. And all I knew how to do in my life at that time was worship. And I stopped blaming God. And I started looking to God. I started looking to heaven. And I started worshiping God. I started honoring God. I began to lift my heart and my praise to God in the midst of my pain and the lack of understanding. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I got pissed off. Can I say that in church? I just did. Sorry. You can't edit that. I got pissed at the devil who was seeking, trying to devour my life and destroy me. And I said, devil, you done messed with the wrong kid. I got new perspective now. I've just spent time in the presence of God. And I have reminded myself that I'm a son of the most high living God. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. And what you try to destroy in my life, God's going to restore. You can take my family. You can take my finances. You can take my ministry. But you will never take my relationship with God. You done mess with the wrong kid. And I don't care how long it takes to pay it back, but you will. And I can remember the moment. The presence of God filled the room in just such a sweet way of grace. And it was one step forward, two steps back. One step forward, two steps back. All my friends and family were telling me I should file bankruptcy because she drained all my bank accounts. I had great credit, had high credit cards, and I saw all the money just get sucked out of my, sucked out of my account, thus leading me into over $200,000 of consumer debt, including the house. Making at that time $10 an hour, everybody. By the grace of God, I chose to do one thing that is my encouragement to you today. I stand here on this platform, not because I'm perfect. I stand on this platform today by the grace of in the faithfulness of a God who can meet you where you are and help you walk through some of life's most difficult moments. And my hope in sharing this story brings hope and encouragement to you today to let you know that no matter what you're dealing with, you can get through it. God is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He sees all, knows all. And it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by God. Like the song we sang this morning. In that moment, I made a decision and this is my hope for you today. And that is in life's worst moments that you will make a choice. And that is that you will trust in God. In life's worst moments, despite your mistakes, despite your trouble, in life's worst moments, write this down if you're taking note, I will trust in God. And that's all. That's, I mean, if you want to wrap up my life in just one little bow, it's, it's been a lot of hell, a lot of pain. But I've always tried to trust there's been good days, there's been bad days, but I've always tried to keep that at the center of my life. And I stand here today on the other side of the redemption story. It took 17 years to get out of $200,000 worth of debt. Did y'all hear me? 17 years. Three years later, God restored to me the most beautiful woman in the world. Sits on the front row. His name is Linda. God gave me a beautiful son, 13-year-old, Max. And God allowed me by his grace to serve wonderful churches around the world that have positioned me and put me in a place to where I can stand here today and come to Nampa, Idaho and to love you and to serve you and to say, hey, here's my scars. 
but I'm just here to sit with you in your grief, to sit with you in your sorrow, to make sure you don't get stuck there, but to help you walk through it so that you can find healing through life's worst moment. And it begins with surrender. It begins with trust. And I'll close with this verse, 1 Peter 1, 9. Here is the reward for trusting him. You ready? The reward for trusting him, the reward for surrender, it's salvation. It's knowing there's something so much better than earth called it. It's eternity in the presence of a holy, loving, gracious, wonderful Father who will allow us sometimes to go through some hell on earth so that our story could be turned, our mess could be turned into a message, our test could be turned into a testimony, and our pain could be turned into purpose. And that's what I stand here today to encourage you, my friends, no matter what you're facing, can I encourage you to trust, to surrender, so that you can experience the salvation, the life and the love that comes from God's one and only son. His name is Jesus. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? I'll be looking around in this room. I'm not gonna call you down front. I promise you I will not embarrass you in any way, but I do wanna give you an opportunity in this moment to begin a relationship with God. Because many of you are dealing with life's moments. You're dealing with it not only alone in community, but you're dealing with it alone on your own spiritually. You're not in a relationship with God. And if you were honest, you would say, I feel so far from God. And I want you to know if that's you today, God is not far. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He is here in this moment. He loves you. He loves you. And he's here to receive you with open arms for you to experience his love, his hope, and his healing no matter where you are. God meets us where we are, but he loves us enough not to let us stay there. But he moves us gently through the process of finding healing and restoration and reconciliation in every one of our lives. But you can't do it alone. It happens in salvation. It happens through trust and surrender. And who in God's son, Jesus Christ, who came, who died, who rose again to pay for your sin and my sin, the sin that separated us, Jesus has paid it to rescue us. And if you would simply like to receive a free gift, God's word tells us in Romans 10, 9, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died and rose again, you will be saved. Your name will be written in heaven and you will experience life. And my friends, that's my hope for you. So if you're here today, would you be so bold to raise your hand and say, Pastor Rhett, you're talking to me. I want to surrender my life into a relationship with God. Come on, be bold. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around. This is the most significant moment in your entire life. God bless you, sir. Any others? God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? Every head bowed, every eye closed. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I'm so proud of you. That's the greatest decision of your life. You know, as much as God loves the hand raise of that physical, you know, just uh, representation of surrender, it's really about a heart that connects with God. And I would love to encourage everybody to pray this, whether you raise your hand or whether you didn't. Would you say a simple prayer like this? Say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for wanting to have a relationship with me. Thank you for Jesus. Today, I surrender my life. I put my trust and my hope in you. Forgive me, change me, come live on the inside of me. I believe and I confess that you're the son of God, that you died, that you rose again to pay for my sin and to give me life. I give you everything today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, we had several people make decisions for Jesus today. Can you throw your hands together? Let's celebrate. Come on, man. That's so exciting. Way to go. That's so cool. So cool.